Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. More than 50 years ago, Catherine Switzer made history when organizers of the Boston Marathon tried to push her off the course. She was the first woman to officially enter and run the race. Catherine went on to complete more than 40 marathons and won the New York City Marathon in 1974. This weekend, she's returning to the Boston area to run in two races. One of them is the Women's Classic 5K right here in Providence. She's joining us today with Bob Rothenberg, a former Brown running coach and one of the organizers of the race. Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Catherine Switzer, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as a registered competitor and co-founder of 261 Fearless, a global nonprofit that empowers women through running. And we're joined by Bob Rothenberg, the former Brown University track and field and cross-country coach who now coaches the Ronald McDonald House of Providence Running Club with his wife, Anne. Welcome, Catherine and Bob. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Catherine, one of the Boston Globe conference rooms has an etched glass photo of that dramatic moment in 1967 when Boston Marathon race director Jock Semple tried to rip off your bib number, 261, because he didn't want any women running the race. In your book, Marathon Woman, you describe hearing the scraping sound of leather shoes coming up fast behind me. What happened next? It was a frightening moment, actually, because in a race, you always hear the thump, 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 thump of rubber shoes around you. And I heard this scraping noise, which is like you hear a dog, for instance, when it's chasing you before the dog actually gets you. (laughs) And I turned instinctively. And when I turned, I, I looked suddenly right into the face of the angriest man I've ever seen. And I was just totally frightened. And I sort of went out and with that, he grabbed me. And he he screamed at me, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. And he tried to rip off the bib numbers from my front and my back. I jumped back. He missed the one on my front. When I lunged forward, he, he got the corner of the one on my back. My coach was pounding on him and saying, leave her alone, leave her alone. She's okay. I've trained her. And he smacked my coach, Arnie Briggs. But then when he came back and grabbed me by the by the shoulder, my um 
boyfriend, who is an ex-All-American football player, <laughs> um, and he came along with the most incredible shoulder charge, cut through the crowd <laughs> and just took Jock right off his feet. And Arnie Briggs, my coach, screamed, run like hell. <laughs> Down the street we went. Now we're laughing, you know. The retelling is funny, but it was really a terrible moment. It was a terrible moment uh, for men and women. It was a terrible moment for me. Really, I was only just 20, and it was my first big race. Yeah, tell me about the emotions you felt at that moment. Well, first of all, I felt like, have I screwed up this most amazing race? The Boston Marathon, to me, was second only to the Olympic Games, and I was so proud and happy to be there. I wasn't trying to prove anything. I was just trying to run. And my coach had insisted, you know, that I that I register and sign up for the race. So I thought I had done everything right, and somehow I had done everything terribly wrong. And I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I was scared that I had screwed up this important race. I was really afraid for myself. I mean, uh, the guy was assaulting me, and I, I'd never been assaulted before. And I didn't know quite what to do. Should I step off the course? And then the press truck then was there, and they were yelling at me, when are you going to quit? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And I thought for a moment, should I quit? And I, I thought, well, that's what everybody wants me to do. <laughs> that's what they're telling women all the time, that you don't belong. And then when you do something, then they tell you you're doing it wrong and you should quit. So it was very, very hard. I'd run 30 miles in practice only a week before. So I knew I could finish the race. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to finish the race. Because if, if I don't finish it, everybody is going to say, see, women can't do it. I had to finish it. Bob, you coach both men and women at Brown University. What was the reaction in the running community when they saw Catherine run that Boston Marathon in 1967? I think amazement. I would say we were also at a time in our history where the culture for many people was that it wasn't safe for women to run that kind of distance, that it wasn't fair and it was a dangerous precedent. Obviously, it wasn't true, but that what you have to put what happened and people's reaction, I think, within the context of how a lot of people felt what they could do or not do, what was safe. I do have another question. Is I had always heard that you had entered as K Switzer, not your full first name, and that was the reason that they put through your application. They didn't realize you're a woman. Is that true? That's, I didn't do it to defraud the officials. I did it because that's how I signed my name is K.V. Switzer. My father misspelled my name Catherine on my birth certificate. <laughs> so, I mean, my name was always being misspelled. People putting the E in when they he had left the E out. And so I began at about 12 and 13 signing my name on all the articles and stuff I was writing. I was an aspiring journalist. And I signed my name K.V. Switzer so that the typesetter wouldn't keep changing it wrong. And <laughs> I was so tired of it being misspelled. And even to this day, all my, my nice trophies and plaques are, are always misspelled, even, even when I tell them. <laughs> but anyway, I also, look, in a, in a little bit of arrogance, I wanted to be J.D. Salinger or E.E. E. Cummings. <laughs> and so K.V. <laughs> Switzer was cool. So I'm a Syracuse graduate, too, so I love the anecdote about your trip back to Syracuse after the Boston Marathon in 1967. Can you tell us about what happened when you stopped at a restaurant on the New York Thruway? I think it was in Albany for gas and coffee. Well, you've got a great memory. We thought that this was just an odd incident, that Jock just lost his temper. You know, my boyfriend was feeling kind of cool that he knocked him out of the way and saved me, and I didn't like that very much. But anyway, we then, you know, got a shower and some dinner and, and then hit the road. And 
we really just kind of brushed it off that it was a, a odd thing. Weird things happened in running in those days. And it wasn't until we stopped for some ice cream and some coffee on the throughway and went into the, a restaurant there and we picked up the paper and we said, oh my God, we're all over the front and back of it. And that's kind of when I, I said, oh my God, my life I think is going to change. This wasn't just a one-off incident. This has become something much bigger. Bob, you, you are the coach of the Ronald McDonald House of Providence Running Club now. How many runners are women and how many marathoners do you see who are women now? I think in all the major marathons, more than 50% are women now. I think this is true, certainly within the United States, and I would say true in many, other, many of the other major marathons around the world. I know with our running club, we have about 290 adults in the club right now. It's a community club welcoming all ages, all abilities. And about uh, 60, 65% are women. 58% of all participating runners in the United States are now women. So that's at all distances from 5K up to the marathon across the board. Wow. How does that make you feel, given how low that percentage was when you ran that race in 1967? Oh, gosh, it makes me feel very validated and, and really excited for the future. I mean, I think we're really just beginning, if you want to know the truth. I think it's a very exciting time right now to be an athlete, male, female, or non-binary. The future is going to be very exciting because women are now really displaying the fact that they are superior in endurance and stamina. We will never be there in terms of the speed and power of men, but it doesn't make us better or worse athletes. It makes us different athletes. I mean, Tigas Dasafa just ran a 2.11 marathon. I remember when a 2.11 was a men's world record. But the differential continues, about 10 minutes difference between men and women in the marathon. But, but when we get to 60, 70, and 100 miles, women are, are winning outright. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the sport changes and maybe even the Olympic Games. I would add that your influence, the step you took for women, goes far beyond just running. And when you look around college and high school and kids' sports, you see women playing rugby, you see women playing soccer. Wrestling has started at a collegiate level now for women. You made a statement by what you did, and that statement was, we can do anything. Why not us? So your influence really does go far beyond running, and that's something you should always be proud of. Thank you, Bob. That's lovely for you to say. Certainly, I feel very proud of all of that, but we still have such a long way to go. Honest to God, you know, there are countries in the world where women are still not allowed to even go out of the house alone or choose their own partners or get an education or drive a car, the simplest things. Yeah, tell me about the barriers that remain to be broken for women in running or in other sports. Here's the bad news on this interview. Most of the women in the world still live in a fearful situation. And whether it's poverty or it is a domestic or social or religious restriction, she still lives in fear. And how can we reach her? And actually running has always showed us the way. You know, we can only do each of us what we can do best. And for me, it's creating the running opportunity and opening those doors and taking that woman by the hand and showing her how not to be afraid and to take the first step. Running is easy, it's cheap, and it's totally accessible. We decided to create a nonprofit from the buzz that we were getting from the number 261, the bib number in that Boston Marathon that the official tried to pull off of me because I defended that number and it's become a number meaning fearless in the face of adversity. So we created a nonprofit called 261 Fearless, which reaches out to these women and encourages them to take the first step. And we do this by training coaches all over the world. And they then create a community club chapter, a group of women in their neighborhood 
that they get started with running in a safe place, starting with a walk, starting with a stroll, working their way up to having that sense of empowerment that allows them to change their lives. Yeah, how many local 261 clubs are there now, and are there any in Rhode Island? Yeah, there's, there's a wonderful one in Providence, and um, then we have a whole series in Boston and in Dorchester and around the Boston area. I'm really, really, really pleased. We're in 13 countries. We have 5,000 members, and um, we have something like 300 coaches around the world. So we are in interesting places like Albania, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ecuador, Chile, of course, the United States, Austria, Germany, and the traditional countries. But the countries I'm most interested in are those who, where women have no opportunities. And if we can create this opportunity for them, they, we can change their lives. If you want to lift a woman up, show her how to run. It's that simple. Yeah, you've described running as your secret weapon. What did you mean by that? Because it's like my inner armor. You know, it's a, a victory under my belt. Nobody can take away from me. That started when I was 12 years old and first started running and going into a very big high school with, you know, 18-year-olds. I was nervous and, and prepubescent, but I had been running a mile a day by that time, and I felt powerful and strong inside. Tell us about that. I love the anecdote about how you started running. You, you told your father you wanted to be a cheerleader. Oh, it's so wonderful. You know, I look back at, at how lucky I was to have parents who were constantly reinforcing me. Uh, I told my dad I wanted to be a high school cheerleader because like every other little girl, I wanted to be pretty and popular and date the captain of the football team. And, and he said, you don't want to be a cheerleader because cheerleaders cheer for other people. He said, you want people to cheer for you. The game is on the field. And your school has something new called a field hockey team, and you ought to play on that field hockey team. Oh, Dad, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> you get that from your kids all the time. And he said, look, if you ran a mile a day, you'd be the best player on the team. And I said, I can't run a mile. And he said, sure you can. Come on, I'll show you. He said, seven laps around the yard. And I said, oh, my God. And he said, no, 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 look, it's not about going fast. It's about finishing. I mean, all these pearls of wisdom, you know, all the parents listening right now should realize, just keep throwing those pearls of wisdom down because you don't know which one they're going to pick up. And I picked that up and he said, now you've got to do it every day because consistency is more important than anything else. Bob, this Sunday, October 8th, Catherine is going to be one of four women trailblazers attending the Coastal One Credit Union Women's Classic 5K right here in Providence. So first, tell us who the other trailblazers are that'll be there Sunday. Well, two of them are Olympians, former Olympians. Molly Huddle, who lives and works here in the area, two-time Olympian. She, one time, she held the American record for women in the 5,000, the 10,000, and the half marathon, and is still competing. And will be running in the uh, trials to try to make the team again. In addition, Marielle Hall, who has lived here for the last three years, was an All-American three times at the University of Texas, uh, competed in two world championships, was in the 2016 Olympics, she uh, will be, of course, Catherine, and the fourth person, Joanne Flaminio, who was the first woman president of the BAA after 140 years. She's still very active on the Board of Governors and uh, lives very close to the start and finish of the race. So all four women will be honored, and Joanne will also be the honorary starter for the race. So now tell us about the race. How did it start? You know, what was the impetus for women's only race? My wife and I were, have been involved with the Ronald McDonald House since the year 2000. In those days, in the early 2000s, the Ronald McDonald House always had a walk. And along that time, about 2004 or five, we were asked to start a running club to help promote the name Ronald McDonald House in the community. And the director at that time of the house told us, you'll have about 20 people. So right now we have 280 
adults in the community that make up the Ronald McDonald House Running Club, and they train for different races of different distances. When we first got started, we were looking for a way to expand what the house had been doing. We said, well, why not um, try an all-women's race? There really are very few in Rhode Island. I believe it's the only one in Rhode Island right now. Yeah, Catherine, let me ask you, why is it important to have races just for women? First of all, it reduces intimidation. A lot of women still say, um, oh, I'm not really a runner. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too slow. I don't belong. But around other women, they don't feel that way. This is it's really great. So having a, a non-intimidating race is, is great. But the bigger thing is, is that once they run with a group of other women, they feel uplifted, empowered, and that they have a community that they can relate to. That's really important. It's a sense of community that women have needed for a long time. I totally agree with what you're saying, Catherine. Every year, I ask that same question to a number of the women who have just run, and they said, it's a different feeling. It's a sense of celebration of women's wellness through running. And sometimes they don't, they're not sure exactly how to articulate it, but clearly they feel that. So I know the race is a major fundraiser for the Ronald McDonald House Charities here in New England. For those who might not be familiar, tell us about what the Ronald McDonald House is and what it does. Sure. Ronald McDonald Houses have the same basic mission all over the world. Um, and that's to provide sort of a home away from home for families that have a child being treated at local hospitals. So in this case, in Providence, we're located right across the street from Women and Infants, Rhode Island Hospital, in that area. We provide housing for the families of the children that are being treated at the hospital, siblings, mom and dad, in a home-cooked meal every evening, and an opportunity to interact with other families struggling with the same kinds of issues. So it provides not only the comfort needed so the family can focus on the child in the hospital, but also the emotional support you get from being able to talk with other people going through that same difficult time in their lives. Now, Catherine, I know there's another women's race coming up in Boston on Saturday, October 7th. Can you tell us about that? Yes, of course. That's the 47 years old Boston 10K for Women presented by REI. I was around when this race was founded, but I never ran this race. And for some reason, every year for 47 years, there was a reason I couldn't come. Well, this year I'm going to come and I'm going... Well, I'd like to say I'm going to run it, but I think I probably must say I'm going to lumber through it. Um, <laughs> and then the race on Saturday. So, um, Bob, I'm doubling up. I'm going to try to run as well. Oh, you're going to do both? <laughs> you're going to do Boston and Providence back-to-back? -back? Yes, I'm going to do back-to-back. -back. Wow. Yeah, wow. I, I, crazy. It's crazy. I'm, I'm not in the best of... Uh, Best of health, I have some vertigo issues. So if I tip over on you, Bob, you got to come out and rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won't be surprised to know we have set aside number 261, so it'll be easy to identify you. Fantastic. And finally, Catherine, just tell me how you feel to see so many women coming out for these two races back-to-back -back in, in Boston and in Providence. Well, how could you not feel anything but wonderfully motherly? I don't have any children of my own. I married the right guy finally when I was 40. <laughs> so, um, But every time I see a woman runner, I say she's one of mine. Oh, so I wonderful. feel wonderful, prideful. Mostly I feel that most of these women don't have to think twice about their entitlement to run. And that's a fabulous, fabulous feeling. And I know all of them are feeling empowered I feel very strongly that they're 261 women. You know, they are all about fearlessness and empowerment and, and leading the charge for the next generation. Great note to end it on. Catherine, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. My pleasure.
Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.